accessing library computer data. Out there, there are no saints. Just people. Hey everybody, welcome back to the show. Continuing our run-through of Star Trek Deep Space Nine. Right now we're up to the episode called Children of Time. It's the 22nd episode of the fifth season, aired May 5th, 1997. Teleplay goes to Renee Echevarria. Story credit goes to Gary Holland and Ethan Kock. Directed by Alan Croker in this episode. Investigating a planet surrounded by a powerful energy field, the crew of the Defiant discovers their own descendants and learns that in two days they will crash 200 years in the past. We're joined by Clay, as always. Clay, how are you? I'm good. Um, you can't see it because obviously this is an audio medium, but I've spent the past 200 years learning how to become much sexier. <laughs> I like how... But not so sexy as to be intimidating. Yeah, he's um, he's like a Fruit of the Looms model or something in this one, Odo, I think. Yeah, he's, he's, he's a little... Yeah, I like that he's... Uh, basically, like your, he's like your grandmother's new boyfriend. Yes, that's a, that's a good way to describe him. He does he does um, he does look old, and he looks exactly the same, except a little bit more. I, I would I would describe this as the switch to high def Odo. I think yeah. <laughs> I would describe it. Uh, he's like uh, you ever see those older guys in like their sixties and seventies who were uh, you know athletes when they were younger. So yes, like yeah. in the face, they look like they're older, but like they have just enough of their shirt open that you can see they still have pec muscles, mm-hmm. but no chest hair because chest hair disappears when you get like 65. <laughs> and it's, there's just something weird about the juxtaposition where you go, mm, I don't know who he's trying to get, but I feel like he's going to get everybody. <laughs> let's, uh, let's take a break. We're going to play an audio clip. Me and Clay are going to come back and we're going to break down children of time. You can't know how much it means to me to know you're going home, Nerys. No, it won't change anything for me. I lost you 200 years ago. But for the other Odo, up on the ship, it changes everything. He doesn't have to lose you. And somehow, knowing that makes me feel better. All right. So, Clay, this is an interesting episode. I think I'll throw it mm. to you by saying this. Um, early season one and two of DS9, we had a lot of complaints that uh, the show was trying to be TNG too much, and it wasn't very mm-hmm. good at it, and it wasn't fit for the mold of TNG. And I think that we we're accurate in that. I think that that's right about the early seasons of DS9. This, yep. to me, is a very TNG episode so much that what it stands out to me that when they beam down somewhere, I'm like, wow, when was the last time DS9 characters like beam yeah. down to a settlement? Yeah, and I would I would say this is a very good best of both worlds TNG mix crossover with DS9, I think. I think that they understand what the show does on its own well at this point, and they combine it with a TNG plot line, and it actually turns out okay in this case. Yeah, I think so too. It's the the criticism of the early seasons of Deep Space Nine is not that it was trying to be TNG. I mean, that's part of it, but more specifically, it was the bad parts of TNG. Like it was trying to take the TNG formula, uh, and it it didn't it didn't work. Whereas something like this, it is a very TNG style episode, 
but it's a very good episode. It's it, this would be if this was a TNG episode, it would still be a very good episode. Yeah, it well, doesn't use the exact you know the the base level formula of TNG episodes that can get kind of tiresome. That doesn't fit. You, they've taken the uh, uh, the 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 best sort of high concept uh, ideas and and managed to plug it into the 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 new series without um, sacrificing the idea or the uh, the characters that or uh, the work that they've done with Deep Space Nine. I think it's great. I think it's really good. Yeah, I think this is a really good episode. I would say that this is actually a it's the end result here, I think, has to be better for DS9 than TNG, because I don't think you know enough about all of the TNG characters yes. to do yeah. the storylines that they do here, where, yeah. you know, I think the the greatness about this episode is that everyone kind of has something to do in this, even if some of them are tiny, like Bashir's thing is basically him walking around going, hey, I fucked her. Hey, I fucked her. Hey, hey, fucked her. Like, that's his entire um, storyline. And then you have really deep ones like the Odo and Kira relationship. I don't think, like, someone like Jordy in TNG wouldn't really work in this episode because you don't really know yeah. anything about him. Yeah. Um, yeah, if if this was a TNG episode, I think the big difference would be that the TNG equivalent of the Odo and Kira thing would have been something that we had never heard about before the, this episode. So it would have been like, they just get to this episode and it's only just now at the beginning that you find out that Jordy is in love with Beverly Crusher. Or right. Something. <laughs> right. And that would have, that would have come across strange. You would have had to imply that the planet time travel has some, had some sort of impact on their minds or something at that point, because it doesn't, it doesn't fit in here. And, you know, the, the best part about this as a DS9 story, besides the fact that all the characters have something to do and it all makes sense, is that it's all built on everything you know about the characters to this point. Like, yeah. I, I think the the concept is really TNG, but the execution is pure Deep Space Nine, I think. And yep. it makes it really satisfying on a lot of levels, the way that they do everything here. And, like, just the the insights you get into the characters are really great. Like, we've talked about... um or I've complained that I think that O'Brien and uh, is kind of underdeveloped as a character on this show. Mm -hmm. I will say when O'Brien enters his, what the fuck are all of you talking about mode? It's my favorite mode out yes. of any of the yeah. characters. I think he has two incredibly sick burns in this in a span of about 30 seconds. He tells Kira that the, the profits are fake. <laughs> and then he says, <laughs> and then he tells Worf that he doesn't spend any time with his kid, which is just a, a brutal <laughs> Your one. Your God too. is a lie and you're a deadbeat dad. <laughs> it's a brutal one too. And it's totally makes sense in context of why, o, o, you know, O'Brien doesn't yeah. want to be stuck on this planet. And I love when O'Brien does that stuff, but I, I really like when DS9 has, like TNG doesn't do disagreements amongst the crew members mm. the way that DS9 does. And I think that the way that those when guys they, are when all they do, do it, when they do do it, it's that's like the plot of the episode. It's not just the way that they react, interact with each other. Right. They, like the fallout means something to the plots and, and DS9 yeah. doesn't do that. I really like the way that they argue about this and all of them have different opinions about what should be done. And they all totally make sense to the characters that they have. Yeah. I, I mean, to the point where I was at the end, I was like, wow, Worf is he's going to kill all those people. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, my, my favorite budgetary constraint of this episode, because I love it when they do these uh, um, uh, village episodes where where the one village is supposed to represent a large number of people. But obviously they don't have the resources for that is at the end when he shows up with the three Klingons. And I was like, there's only three of these people. And then at the, 
right before uh, you know they they join in. He goes, "Go tell the others." Yeah, they're at the bottom of the hill. <laughs> yes. Yeah, you just can't see them, but they are definitely here. Yeah, it was very um like Braveheart, reminiscent of when they were trying to like hide how many people they had cast in Braveheart when they're doing the big yes. battles and stuff like that. Yeah, it's it's mm-hmm. very similar to that. Um, yeah, yeah. So why why'd you like it? You said you liked the episode. Yeah, I thought I I thought the setup. Um, I, I thought the story was great, and I thought the uh, the the stakes and the and the and the conflict or the the problem that they had to solve was was very interesting for for the reasons that you just said because it, it's not just a matter of uh, you know I, I think you can I think you can use this as an example of what works for me about this show and what doesn't work for me about Discovery because this seems like in Discovery you would end up with a lot of techno babble going on about how they're going to fix things and blah, 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 blah. Whereas this one is like, no, we can't fix it. Here's how it's going to affect everybody who is on the show currently. Right. We have two options. Which one do we choose? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And it's not about figuring out the technical reasons why one is better than the other. It's just like you get to see all of these characters have their own opinion and and their own feelings and how they clash about it. Because, I mean, that's that's what drama is. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's not just three people standing around a, uh, a, a standing in the middle of a spinning camera saying fake technology words at each other until one of them goes, "Yeah, that's going to work." Yeah, right. Yeah, I think it. Um, I I think that the the, I think it's a really interesting concept about it. Like I, if there is a problem with it, it's maybe like I was trying to think how I would react in a real world situation like this. Like I think that they they treat the people from the future in a way that I have a hard time viewing them as real. You know, does that make sense to you? Like, if I if I encountered this, I would not consider my duplicate copies who went back in time to be the real me, and therefore it seems less impactful that they disappear. You know what I mean? Yeah. Well, what's interesting was they didn't even get into something I thought they were going to get into. I mean, before they ultimately do something more interesting uh, where it turns out that their plan just isn't straight up isn't going to work. Um. I was I was thinking about like well, how do you determine which one makes it out? Like how do you know if you split into the you get like basically the Tom Riker situation? Yeah, where it's like if you split into two, how do you determine which one is the original and which one is the copy? Not that it really matters ultimately, but I just thought that was kind of interesting, and they, nobody ever really talks about it. Yeah, um, I, I was getting strong shades of Second Chances, which is the Tom Riker episode as well. Yeah. It feels like it's going to go that way, but it ultimately stay. That's a that's a TNG concept. I think that's a, that's like pinnacle TNG, and mm. DS Nine moves away from that a little bit. Yeah, um, but yeah, the uh, the ultimate uh, uh, conflict being this plan isn't going to work, and now we have to decide whether or not to kill eight thousand people. I thought it was really interesting because they they've got all of these different points of view that are like you've got Cisco saying I'm not going to tell Kira to kill herself to save eight thousand people, but then Kira's like No, I'll do it, and Cisco's like Well, I mean, don't be too hasty about it, (laughs) you know. Like so, (laughs) and but at the same time, you've got Worf who's like No, if Kira's going to do it, then it's our responsibility to you know, like that kind of thing. Yeah. Obviously, you've got O'Brien being like No, fuck this shit. Um, well, O'Brien and being selfish as, and Odo being the opposite of selfish, which is yeah. which is kind of a neat little clash between those two. They, well, they don't clash about it, but... Well, O'Brien being selfish and Odo ultimately being incredibly selfish. 
yeah, uh, yeah. I, well, selfish. I think I think Odo's I think Odo sabotaging the thing to let them get out there is incredibly selfish. I well yeah. To, so before we get to that point, I will follow you there. I was incredibly relieved that they flipped it and had Odo do it at the end, at least when yeah. it, when it was. Well, before we get to that, uh, I have one question. I, I'm put, I'm putting a pin in the Odo thing because I think that's like mm-hmm. the main crux of it. But is this the best Dex storyline that uses Dex as a like as the way that her character is designed, which is to be an immortal being, basically. Oh yeah, definitely. I thought yeah, this was really great use of Dax. Like it is Dax in this guy, this Yedrin or whatever his name is. And the way that he's handling this was set up so well. And it's funny because when it started, I was really like, geez, Dax, like being kind of pushy about going to see the planet. And it actually pays off in it. Like it wasn't just a weird source of writing. The reason he feels so guilty and that he, uh, or Yedrin Dax feels so guilty and is so remorseful about the way things turned out is that he spent 200 years thinking about the mistake that he made that caused everything to happen that way. And I, I don't think we've ever had a Dax episode that made you really reconcile what the characters, uh, like how the character's design would work in ways like Mm. that. And it's really effective. I think it's probably the best use of Dax that the show's done. Yeah. I feel like they've tried to do this, um, previously but have not been as successful like every now and then you'll get the episode where she has to like accompany her Klingon friends on a a revenge mission or something Uh, or you do that thing where they have that split off where each personality jumps into another body and so they talk about stuff that they did or whatever but you never really have these sort of dealing with your past actions over a very long period of time stories like you do with Kira like Kira's entire storyline essentially is is dealing with the fact that she was part of this terrorist organization uh and how that comes back to bite her or or doesn't or you know all all of the many variations of that with Dax you don't really get that even though you kind of have more um uh, it's it's more wide open to do that. There's stuff to draw um, on with Dax. Yeah, there's more stuff to draw on. There's more more life experience and stuff. It's usually just played for like uh, uh, wizened comedy more than anything else. Yep. And I wonder if it's a matter of the fact that you have both of them there, so you kind of have both sides of the equation as far as the having just done the action versus having to deal with the action. Because when you only have Jedzia, and she's sort of like reflecting on things that she's done previously it's never really impact that impactful because you never saw it happen and you don't really know anything about the event um but at the same time i think you could do it but they've just never had an instance where it's like you know jadzia dax has to deal with the fallout of something that she did you know 75 years ago yeah they've they like the worst they've done is when like uh, there was an episode where Dax was put on trial for the crimes of a previous host, sort of. Yeah, and yeah. It just it feels it feels more like those episodes are designed around just like the gimmick of the the idea is built around the gimmick of you being able to do it with a character as opposed to it feeling like it's a natural outcome of a problem that this character in particular would have yeah. about this. Mm-hmm. And yeah. so because. Dax is so long lived. Her, her, and Odo being the only two characters who would survive to this new future with them 
is like the only opportunity I think that we've ever seen Dex do that. Otherwise, Dex is kind of just bringing up past stories. Like, hey, this one time yeah. I had something similar happen to me, and everyone doesn't really care. But this and, is, or or someone else going like, oh, I remember you. You used to sleep around a lot when you were Curzon. Right. She's like, yeah, well, you know, I still like to get down. <laughs> get down. <laughs> that's exactly the uh, that's exactly the problem with it. And I think that I just found this one to be really, really, really satisfying in a way that. Where I find all the characters really satisfying in this, like O'Brien, I think Bashir is really funny. I love every time Cisco gets to play a father role, I really appreciate it in this mm-hmm. series when he holds mm-hmm. the baby, um, which is one of his descendants, obviously. Um, I think that really shines through. And I think that the the Odo and Kira thing is almost perfect for it. And I think that like for how many moving parts there are, this is probably one of those stories where the time travel aspect doesn't make a lot of sense once you start to think about it. But now it's like the, if the story is good enough, you don't really care about it. Yeah, there's a couple things like I, I wonder what happened to the prime directive uh, in this episode where they're just like, ooh, a planet that has humans that we don't know. Let's just fly down to it. Yeah, I'm always confused by um, I know they mean it, but whenever they say humans, I'm always like, do they mean human humans or just like human shaped people? When, right. When, yeah. When they go down, yeah. obviously people in this case, uh, we can get to. But yeah. The, go ahead. Oh, sorry. I was just going to say the time travel. It's like, yeah, I think there's. I, I was thinking about the. I think the only thing that doesn't particularly work about it is there's no um, seeing as they're t- they're time travel mechanic in Star Trek is very single timeline based, uh, at least generally in these shows. Well, I guess it depends on which what you're watching. But for the purposes of this episode, it's very singular timeline based. So if they don't do what they were supposed to do in the past, then this it's back to the future. Basically, if this thing, they will disappear. Yeah. Um, The only thing that that makes that not work is the fact that Dax is down there. Because theoretically, Dax would have a memory of of the event. Um, but you could probably hand wave that really easily. Like they they hand wave that kind of stuff on Doctor Who every now and then. Like anytime that they do a multiple Doctor storyline, they they do this thing where it's like, well, since since we were in the same timeline at the same at the same time, the the things get fuzzy, so you don't really remember what happened once you leave it. So oh, I see what you I mean, could, right? I could hand wave it by be by, uh, you know, uh, what's the new Dax's name? I think his name is Yedrin. Yedrin, but Yedrin being like, you know, my memory only goes back to a certain point. I don't exactly remember X, Y, and like the actual events of what brought us here, that yeah. kind of thing. Yeah. So you could so the he doesn't have a direct memory of the actions that got the ship there. So if you did end up changing the future, then he wouldn't. You know, it avoids your paradox. Yeah. I, I I was noticing that it's a it's a time travel story that beyond the initial time travel it doesn't sprawl outward. You know what I mean? Like the mm-hmm. the initial time travel seems to only have resulted in one timeline going forward, which is I think yeah. you're talking about the single timeline that they're all on. Yes, it, it's yeah, not yeah. like it's not like they're stuck in a loop that constantly has to continue over and over again. Right, they can break out of it. Which you know I I don't we we did our time travel coverage on Patreon. It's like I don't. I'm I'm fairly flexible with how time travel works and stuff as long as you yeah. as you, as long as you take advantage of however you're setting the rules to be. Mm-hmm. Um it doesn't really bother me too much and particularly in an episode that's good like this one I don't really care. Um like if there is a problem I can kind of gloss over it or, or I'm not um I'm not primed to sort of hover on it and continue to think about it. Yeah, I think it's definitely it's all it's ver- it's very minimal. 
uh, as far as the the mechanics problems go. Um, Because, you know, I think they they find their way around that by setting it on a planet that is heretofore unknown, uh, so they wouldn't have any um, uh, influence on any other timeline events. And also, they have the idea be that they are going back in time. Yeah. So you know, by, by not going back in time, they just erase that from the existence anyway. So I think, I think it, it, I think it ties up pretty well, actually. A little bit of trivia for people listening. This is the last time that we're in the gamma quadrant on the show till the, uh, to the finale. Yeah. Till the finale. Is, isn't the gamma quadrant like the main quadrant outside through the wormhole? It's the other side of the wormhole. Yeah. 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 That's interesting. Uh, so let's see here. So I guess we should dive into the, do you have anything else you want to say before we sort of hunker into the main point of this, which is the Odo and Kira storyline? I don't know if you had any other points. I think I've covered pretty much everything. I really like it. I like how it, I, I, I was thinking while I was watching, this is really great and really hokey at the same time. You know, like mm. I, the oldness of TNG's style sticks out to me a little bit. Um, yeah. And Maybe it's just because we've watched so much DS9 at this point that you kind of forget it. But when you get jarred back into realizing how a TNG episode, how so many of those episodes were set up, it's kind of like, you know, for how for how similar the aesthetic of DS9 and TNG and Voyager all are, like DS9 is very different from TNG. It's a really different show yeah. in terms of how they approach things. And I, it's nice to get a reminder about that every once in a while. Yeah, I, you know, at the same time, I actually found it nice that they did kind of go back to a more TNG style plot mm. or, or setup anyway, just because, you know, just cause it's kind of, it, it was, you're, you're doing the same stuff all the time on deep space nine. And it is very much a different set, a show that, with a different setup, but it's nice to kind of, you know, dip back into the, to the old school every now and then. Pay so respects. it was a nice, yeah. yeah, it was a nice, or even even not so much pay your spec. It's a nice just break in the in the style, just kind of like a breather, you know. Yeah, yeah, and I, I think that it's a good, as I mentioned before, it's a, it's a good it's a good episode to do that. Like the 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 concept itself is nice, and you understand why it's an away mission, but it also is so totally dependent on these characters that we know. So that'll segue us into the Odo and Kira thing. So you mm-hmm. think Odo is selfish for what he does here? Very much so. Yes. Um, I would agree. I I. I I think it's similar to we covered um, a Star Is Born, and for real ripe and real rotten, mm-hmm. and it kind it's kind of the same idea, right? It's kind of the same. It's selfish, but it's also like Odo's intent to save Kira is unselfish. However, he mm. cares about her so much that he's willing to sacrifice everybody else, which is selfish because he's only concerned about his happiness. So, yeah, I um. I love. I'm hugely relieved that the episode had Odo be the one who uh, sabotages what they were trying to do, because mm-hmm. if it was Yedrin Dax, that would have been like that was a terrible ending to this. Right. Yeah. Um, but Odo doing it really adds something, and I, I think it works. Like I, I'm not saying that I agree with Odo, but I think that it's like a perfect ending for what they had set up in the relationship that they've set up there, and I just love the final scene between. Uh, present Odo or like current Odo and Kira. And I think it's, I, I just, I, it feels a very Odo choice. It's like authoritarian and he's like, I'm going to do this. This is the right thing to do. And this is my moral code. I'm going to do it. I'm going to kill all these people and I'm going to save Kira. And um, I just think it pays off really well. Yeah, I think it's great too, but I actually don't 
think it's a very Odo move, personally. No. Because I think it would be, I, th- I think it's a very selfish move, specifically because he uh, links with old Odo before he does it. Okay. Because that now gives old Odo all the information, the fact that he told Kira he loved her and that that's on the table. And it very, it very much seems to me like he is manufacturing this possible future where he and Kira get together. Oh, I see. So he's he's, gone back to plant the seeds. Yeah. 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 I feel like he's putting that first and foremost and that, and all I agree that yes, he's doing it to save Kira because he loves Kira. I think he's, I think his love for Kira is second. How do I say this? Um, He's not, He's not doing it because, oh, Kira must live and maybe hopefully one day we can get together. I think they are kind of sort of the, the same beast Yep. where he is saving Kira because he loves Kira and wants to be with Kira. It's I don't think there is a, a, a separate, um, uh, you know, chival- chivalrousness there. I think he I think it's a very selfish act that he's sacrificing everybody else just to save her essentially because he wants the chance to have a life with her. Yeah. And you know, it's, and that uh, I, I think it's an Odo move in that it is a very, take it the, the matter into his hands and he's going to make the decision for himself kind of thing. But I think the difference is that what he's doing is not actually the logical beneficial thing to do. I don't think that's funny. Cause that ties into my uh, point about like, I wouldn't, I have a hard time relating to my past descendants. Like, so I I don't view them as real people kind of if I was Mm -hmm. in this situation. So my only counter to that would be if I was old, like if I was aged Odo, if I was older Mm. Odo, I would not view my clone getting with the love of my life to be a victory for me. You know what I mean? Like it's poetic Mm -hmm. on one level, but I would, I like, if I was in that situation, if I'm dead, I don't really care about like what's going on outside of that. And it's not because he, he Odo doesn't share a consciousness with the other guy. So my only well, count is now. Oh, because they, they linked. That's the yeah. problem. Yeah. Yeah. I, I get. Why did they? Uh, is there another story that, level for why that, they linked? I don't know. Uh, but I think that is actually what makes the epi- that the, the the ending so good for me. Oh, really? Because, yeah, because I think having that all on the table is really interesting because not only is, uh, um, does Kira, does Odo know that Kira knows that he's in love with her, which is its own thing. Um, Odo, uh, Kira knows that Odo killed everybody. Yep. And Odo, current Odo, is not entirely sad that he did it. <laughs> so... <laughs> Kira now has this extra level of possible resentment put onto Odo because of the actions of, you know, old man Odo. Yes. And younger Odo is not exactly shooting down the decisions of old man Odo as the wrong thing to do. No. So I think that has made their relationship that much more complex. And I think that I thought that final scene was awesome. Yeah, I I guess that's true. I I, I think that that's um, I like the layers there. If you approach it from that perspective, um, I like this sort of uh, tension that that's built in. I like the fact that they both agree to take a few days to think about this or whatever. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm, I'm glad Odo had the sense to not immediately rush, in, <laughs> rush into, so uh, what are you doing tonight? 
territory. Even even so, it's like I'm glad he had the sense of mind to realize that her reactions to everything were not exactly like falling heads head over heels in love with old man Odo. Right. Yeah. You know, like <laughs> she's she's not exactly. Uh, 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 jumping for joy when all of this information comes out. Uh, I, I mean, before finding out that he killed everybody, just the fact that he's in love with her, he's she's not exactly like, you know, reciprocating at the highest emotional level you would expect or hope or to. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I just watched an episode of Cheers last night where Carla uh, starts dating this, you know, like hoity-toity, like uh, philosopher, teacher, smart guy. And he comes in and uh, he asks her to marry him. And she goes, well, I, I mean, I, I guess I'd, I'd be dumb to say no. And he's like, perfect. That's great. <laughs> Celebration. Champagne for everybody. And then, you know, then obviously they find out, she, he, they talk about it later. And he's like, you know, I just realized you never said yes. And she's like, yeah, that's weird, isn't it? Mm. And so then that's the kind of feeling I got from, from this thing where it's like, she's, they do a really great job, I think, of of Kira processing all of the shit she's getting right now, uh, whether it's the fact that she's dead and she's sitting at her own grave or the fact that Odo has been pining for her for 200 years and now she knows everything and she's like not not into it, but she's also not ready to looking for apartments yeah, yeah. with him. Um like they they have probably the worst on-screen kiss I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> it's it, I don't know if that was intentional or what, but it's just like he's it's still very, wearing a mask is the is the thing, right? Yeah. yeah. It's yeah, it's it's very forced and it's it, it, it like the 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 brilliance of of uh uh Nana Visitor's acting is that even you can f- see all of the conflicted emotions on her face, even in that moment. It's not like this romantic kiss. It's like, I think we should do this, but right. I'm not sure. Yep, yep. Um, I think she's great in this episode. I think this is a really great Kira episode all around. Yeah, she's really good. Um, and I think that Abhijanwa as Odo, uh, you know, they, they physically change him. He looks different. He's yeah. had more practice mm-hmm. shape-shifting, so he looks more like a normal person. He also... Um, it's like uh, in Wet Hot American Summer where uh, Cooper shows up at the end after he had his training session with Chris Maloney and he's just got like shorter shorts on and a half shirt and everybody reacts. It's like, Oh my God, look at him. Yeah. Totally. Like exact same kind of thing where he, he's got a better, Odo's got a better comb job in his hair. Then his face is a little bit more human and looks a little bit l- less like a, a stretched piece of plastic. Yeah. And so yeah. he's feeling really, he thinks he, he looks really fly. He looks like a snowbird, Florida Odo, I think would yes. be a good one. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> He goes down for a couple of months and he comes back very relaxed and ready to take yeah. on the New England weather. Yeah, he's um He looks like one of the uh country club extras in Caddyshack. <laughs> he's I think that he actually does a really good job with his performance too because he he still has all the funny Odo mannerisms like he kind of grunts like like a modern Odo grunts out of anger he's like hmm. like he does things like that mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. when Kira tells him something nice he just goes like hmm. like <laughs> there's a little yeah. there's a little twist to it and it's really it's kind of neat, and I think that they they do a good job with him and Dax. Of it's different, I, I think, because Dax is in a different body. It's harder to see, but Odo and the Aubergineois performance sells the fact that time has changed him over the course of things. And I think that the you know the the possible out at the end there is that because Odo is now in a different timeline of events, he won't turn into that person. 
You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so that's possible. It could be. Dri- it could be said that Odo, uh, old Odo, was like driven to a kind of madness by what went on with him. And if Kira doesn't die, Odo might never get to that point yeah. in his development. Yeah. I. I mean, on- honestly, I. Again, I, I like the way they played it at the end because I was thinking, if I were Odo and all of that shit just got dumped on me. I my first reaction when talking to Kira would probably be like, "Listen, uh, maybe maybe we don't do this ever, right? Because uh, this has gotten way too complicated." <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I a, a a a future past version of me just killed eight thousand people because he's in love with you. Uh, I respect your friend zoning, and let's just try to be civil with each other yeah. <laughs> until one of us dies. Do you want to take the first pass at this uh, report about what happened, or should I do it? Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> Yeah, I, I I think it's really good. I think it's a uh, clever little episode. Uh, it's got a nice bit of time travel to it. I think everything works out there. If you have anything else you want to say, Clay, feel free. Otherwise, I think we'll go to final thoughts. Um, I, I was just wondering, do you find, how do you find the depiction of the level of civilization that the, 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 the colony had? Because part of me, part of me is like, Okay, I guess it makes sense because they were on their own. So so they have that TNG low-level uh, uh, um, technological advanced society dress where everything is either like stitched together leather or some sort of like karate gi. Yeah, right. Uh, but at the same time, they also had fairly advanced technology that was passed down through the defiant yeah. and stuff i like the, so I the get, plow I, is my favorite example of that it's obviously yes, it's like a me- yeah. mechanized plow but the guy looks like he's physically plowing with it it's kind of a neat little uh, combination of the two yeah i i wasn't sure i, I mean i i think it works um part of me was thinking like you know 200 years that's a long time shouldn't it look like the 1970s or something there <laughs> i'd agree it's I guess it's just a Star Trek trope, right? It's like this is yeah, this is yeah. like Star Trek believes that people will re- like revert to this kind of lifestyle in yeah. a, in a Star Trekky universe. Like this is seen as pristine past. This is the 1950s of Star Trek. You know what I mean? Yes, in, in all yeah, those movies, yeah. like this is what they see as the the prime time to be alive, and this is the best way to live your life. And that's been a constant across all of Star Trek. I don't think it. I don't think it really works because i'd agree with you that if the defiance is there they should be able to use the technology that's there that like unless the ship is totally destroyed i'd have a hard time saying that this crew wouldn't develop some sort of modernish looking society structure yeah yeah i mean you still you would imagine you still have a replicator one replicator is all you need Yeah, unless it's broken but uh but let's say the replicator works uh, you would think there would be some sort of uh, jump start on things, because I was thinking I was thinking about it in terms of like American society, where you go back like two hundred years ago to the basically essentially the beginning of the country. The difference obviously is that there were other people in the world that were sending shit to America, so it wasn't just them. Yeah, but I feel like if you, <laughs> I feel like if you replace um the the f- motherland of England with the defiant and a replicator it's probably a one to one so I was surprised that it wasn't more modern looking but that brings me to my next question can somebody out there do the math for us and figure out uh, assuming there's uh, forty eight people because Kira dies right yeah 
And so 47 people, because Odo's not going to have kids. Uh, could someone do the math and, and tell us if, if out of 47 people, everybody pairs off and has three kids, <laughs> how quickly does things get really inbred? Uh, I think you'd, um, uh, my understanding would be, I have no genetics understanding, but I think they have a sizable population here to prevent that actually. But yeah. I'd be, I'd be interested if there's any science people out there, like what's the baseline, uh, before things start to go really horribly wrong, how many generations do they have in them? Yeah. Um, Cause I'm, I'm surprised that there's, well, I noticed that there was no, uh, there were no, uh, Klingons that also had dots on them. Oh, that's uh, true. Like uh, trill dots. Yeah, interesting. They must have had a hard yeah. falling out there. Apparently. Huh. Yeah. Because you would think, you would think realistically, they would have the most offspring, probably. <laughs> yeah, right. yeah. I yeah. Oh, Brian's reaction to this is like, Molly, he's like, you took 10 years, but eventually even you broke and had sex with some woman who was your ensign, yeah, ensign I, whatever. I, and I, was- yeah, something, something Tannenbaum, which I thought, <laughs> I thought that was funny because you never see her. But clearly, uh, she is not the A one, uh, 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 the prime catch genetic. The yeah, the prime catch. Yeah, uh, which is probably you know unfair, but you know, <laughs> guys well, on starships will be guys on starships. I O'Brien guess. took O'Brien took so long. If he hadn't waited ten years, he might have had you know he wasn't dipping into the bench. I don't think if he had yeah. just immediately accepted <laughs> his new position in life. Hey, you know, she's probably great. Maybe it's him that isn't the catch. You ever think about <laughs> that? He is fairly he's a kind fairly of a horrible person. Yeah. So Yeah. I mean, you gotta think he's he's an he's kind of a prick in general, and then he's he's also spent ten years whining about the fact that his wife is out there somewhere or not existing anymore. <laughs> so I'm sure whoever ends up with him is doing him a favor, not the other way around. I'd agree. Orion is kind of a prick, but I do like it when he enters into that fuck everything mode. I think that that's like the best use of the character. You know, yeah. they, they always do the O'Brien must suffer because they said the audience is found him most relatable. Like, this is another way to do relatable character who looks at the sci-fi concept and goes, what the hell are you all, all you people talking about? Yeah, he does have this kind of uh, um, funny thing, though, where uh, uh, he, from all outward appearances in the episodes that we see, he looks like he would rather do anything than spend time with his family. Yeah. But when you put him in a situation like this, it's like, no, he loves his family very much and can't wait to get back to them. Because based on what we've seen, if they ended up 200 years in the past, he would be like, all right, ladies, let's uh, line it up. Yeah, right. Where's Ensign Tenenbaum? Ensign Tenenbaum would not be, uh, yeah, just a distant memory to poor O'Brien there. Or, or you know, <laughs> or you would find out that neither he nor Bashir ever had any kids because they came to their own realization. Yeah. Uh, once they were finally on their own. And honestly, that's a beautiful thing. <laughs> I I still love Bashir just walking around. He's got this huge uh, shit-eating grin on his face talking about all the children that he's had in this future timeline. It's, it's a really <laughs> terrific turn of the character. Um, all right, so we'll take a break. We're going to play an audio clip. Me and Claire are going to come back, read some patient thoughts, give our final thoughts about children of time. The um, other day when I told you about Chikarin me not seeing each other anymore you seem so uncomfortable i'd come to accept the fact that you were involved with someone else then suddenly everything changed i don't know what to say i'm still trying to sort everything out so am i 
All right, everybody. So thank you for listening. If you enjoyed the content, the best way to support the show is to go to patreon.com slash the Penske file, support the show there a couple dollars a month. You get extra stuff. We just talked about time travel movies on Patreon. We did back to the future and 12 monkeys. So if you're interested in time travel, you can't get enough time travel. You can go over to patreon.com slash the Penske file. Gets those podcasts for a couple dollars a month. And if you're a captain uh, tier supporter, you get a shout out. Andrew Cherlog, Ben Douglas, Bradley Killens, Captain Quark, Cardinal Doomsday, Christian Pouch, David Kay, Dwayne Hackett, Eric Johnson, YRP, Joint Mango, Kyle Barrett, Matt Flores, Matt Cutler, Matt Ross, Michael Pond, Mike Burnett, Nathan Elliott, Nick Sergi, Russ Graham, Sam Custer, Santos Grim, Santo Gonzalez, Sean Spinobi, Stephen Cobb, Tarek Latif, and Will Yates. Thank you guys for supporting the show. It means a whole lot to us. And now, Clay, we'll go to Patreon Thoughts. If you support mm. the show on Patreon, you get to read your thoughts about upcoming episodes. We'll leave your thoughts and we'll read them on the podcast. So let's do that. We have Zam Nuclear Wessel says, Children of Time, a very good episode with an interesting conflict, but I'm always hashtag Team Odo. Even though his reason is selfish, he's right that the crew shouldn't sacrifice themselves to preserve the timeline. There wasn't a settlement there when the ship first landed. The timeline has already changed and the t- children of time are already doomed. That's actually, yeah, that's a good point. That's yeah, the... the the, the the settlement is actually the the anomaly in the timeline. Yeah. Yes. Point. Yeah. Right. How? Yeah. And we touched on that about how it's just this one point in time. It's not like a yeah. cyclical thing. Holly McLaughlin says, "Children of Time." This is one of my all time favorite DS Nine episodes. It's a brutally difficult uh, difficult moral dilemma, genuinely challenging, and easy to make a strong argument in either direction. Very intriguing to see this other timeline where these characters paired off, had and raised children, and otherwise created something wonderful. The way that Worf kept. You know, Go ahead. Oh, sorry. Continue, continue. Uh, the way that Worf kept Klingon ways alive in this other time is especially well done. Bonus, Benjamin with a baby. Aw, I did like. I do like Cisco with a baby. I think yeah. it's really touching. I, I also thought the Klingon stuff was really funny because it's like Klingon, Klingon hipster Worf is now the embodiment of what Klingon is meant to be because he's the one who passed everything down. He didn't just read so the he, book. He wrote the book at this point. Yeah, yeah, yeah on this planet, yeah. Um, what I was going to say before though, was, uh, it, it would actually be interesting to see a time travel story. Maybe they, they've done this somewhere where, uh, someone comes from the past to the future and is telling the main character that they have to go back to the fe- back to the past in order to do X that, or otherwise this person who has come from the past will, will not exist or something like that. Right. So basically, like inverting the paradox, where it's forcing you to create the paradox, yep. and make it sort of essentially the, the the kind of the concept of this episode. But it'd be it'd be interesting to look at it from that angle because it's always it's always the person who has done the time traveling who is in the, uh, yeah. uh, the paradox and never the paradox being put on top of them. Yeah, you'd have um, to come so up with a motivation for how this person would know about the time travel without the time traveler telling them about it. You know what I mean? Yeah, like, they would have to be someone who's, like, uh, actively developing the technology or something like that. I don't know. Yep, yep. Uh, Children of Time. What's the next one here? That is not the next one. Norman Buckwald says, There was a solution where Odo could save Kira and the crew's descendants could both survive. Doesn't the Defiant have a shuttlecraft? He and Kira escaped, uh, quotation, he and Kira escaped from it on its maiden voyage into the Gamma Quadrant, after all, end quotes. The older Odo and Kira escape via a shuttlecraft, and the Defiant goes on to its destination, destined crash landing. Granted, the prophets would not have stood for it, and Cisco must fulfill his task, but you know what I mean. It's true. There's outs. But I think, as we said, uh, it's one of those stories that the outs, uh, I don't think about them too much, I suppose. Yeah. But you are right. Like I, They could split the crew into two different sections and do best of both worlds. 
I think you could hand wave it too. I think you'd be like, well, you know, the shuttle, the shuttlecraft, uh, the shields aren't powerful enough. It would burn up when they try to go through the yeah, radiation yeah. We, It needs to be the defiant. It's the only one big yeah. enough and powerful. Yep. Uh, let's see here. That is not the next episode. Although, I mean, by that metric, you could just. No, I guess you couldn't do that. Christian Pouch says, yeah, for some go, reason, go this on. episode does not, does not land with me. I don't feel much sympathy for the descendants. I find them rather manipulative, and nobody seems to want to talk about the impact on the rest of the galaxy and what it would mean for Bajor and the Dominion conflict if Sisko were to vanish. The stuff with Odo and Kira I like a bit better, and I like the idea of Worf basically getting his own warrior cult, but otherwise I don't find the story compelling. Sure, those people on the planet no longer exist, but what about the descendants of the crew that are no longer possible off-planet? These people aren't just going to stop. Those people don't exist yet. These ones do. They say it in the episode. <laughs> that is, it's the abortion argument. These people aren't just going to stop fucking because they're not on a Luddite world. Um, I guess, I mean, yeah, I, I can't argue with if, if the episode doesn't land uh, with you. I think it does. Kind of, like, I, I think that the conflict is self-contained enough where I don't think about the outside world. Uh, yeah. at this and i don't know if it's appropriate for the characters to be thinking about it that way yeah they they do i mean there is yeah there's an argument to be made that someone maybe should have brought up their their larger responsibility in in as far as the protecting the gamma Qua, the wormhole or some shit but, yep uh they they do i think you could do that kind of in passing i think they they do a fairly good, a pretty good job of of uh maintaining their uh the scope of their environment to a, to a point where it all works pretty well. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, last comment, I think Will Yates, this has always been one of my top episodes from the season, but what a star Trek. Fuck you to Shakar. That poor SOB might've had the worst off camera removal ever. I mean, a glowing hourglass told him he had to take a hike and that's the game. I really yeah, like breakup breakup by shrine is pretty baller yeah. where it's like you guys just go to a shrine <laughs> and, the, and then the glowing ball is like, no. Yeah. It's basically like a magic eight ball relationship. Uh, yeah, thing it's yeah. like let's see what my, the eight ball says my favorite part of that though is when she's talking about it and then oda's like i uh i have i have to go to my bunk <laughs> alone <laughs> they they really had him overact to sell what was going he's like shaking outside of the yeah. uh, outside of the, the canteen when he pops i out. have to go learn how to regenerate alone <laughs> don't I, knock i gotta go work on my forehead wrinkles um yeah that poor SOB might have had the worst off-camera removal ever. I mean, a glowing hourglass told him to take a hike, and that's the game. I really liked watching the two Daxes play off one another, and I think they got a pretty good guest actor for the role. O'Brien must suffer as usual, but I could see the struggle in him through the whole episode. And what a great dig against Worf about his son. Every Klingon on the planet must be a hipster, since they didn't want to tell Worf to go screw himself when he brought them to mm -hmm. fight an enemy. Contrary to everything he apparently taught them about the way to do it was putting plants in the ground. I guess future Odo might have gone a little crazy, but I think he shows characteristics that reveal the inner founder in him. He kills thousands of people on a maybe and an uneasy kiss from Kira. Good episode huh, all yeah. around. That's a good point. So, yeah, you had disagreed about the, that. I think that's what I meant by the authoritarian in him. Like, he is... Uh, I think you acknowledge that. It's just like, oh, it makes yeah, sense. Yeah. So Odo's decision makes sense because it seems like it's built into a authoritarian, this is the way kind of species. Yeah, but it's, but it's also, I think it's held up by his own selfishness yes. yep i'd agree that's it thank you patrons for leaving comments much appreciated clay on a scale of one to five what are you going to give this one? First uh, good episode in a while five. you're going to give it a five yeah yeah um i'm going to give this one a four i think um it's a strong four i really enjoyed yeah. it i think it's really good it's it's definitely one of the top five of the season um 
I don't know. I don't know why I wouldn't give it a five. I, I, I think it's it's pretty good. It's it's something about the hokiness of it for some reason. Mm. That feels very weird in a Star Trek criticism where we're watching hokey show after hokey, hokey show. But <laughs> yes, um, <laughs> something I don't it, it just it's one of those things. It's just a gut feeling. I, I really think it's good. I really don't have any problems with it. Like I kind of disagree with all the patrons who had uh, brought up issues with it. Like it, they didn't really bother me in that way. But I think it's just a really solid episode of the show that um i enjoy but for some reason i don't consider an all-timer but yeah clay will give it a five i think that's fair i'll give it a strong four to balance this off and first good episode in a long time i think clay um yeah i uh i was wondering i i realized we were in the high 20s or the low 20s i should say uh, for the season and uh, i was wondering how many i thought for a second this might have been the season finale um but then i looked and saw there was like three or so more after it yeah i think there's four um so I'm gonna I'm gonna assume that this is actually kind of like a breather before they get really into the Dominion shit to yes. to, to wrap up the season, You'd be, which makes perfect sense correct. to me. Yep, that's exactly what's gonna happen. We're coming back next time uh, with Blaze of Glory, which is Michael Eddington makes his return, um, and also the Bon Jovi song from Young Guns Two that got nominated for an Academy Award. Oh, well, there you go. So it'll tie into our uh, arguably better than Dead or Alive, but that <laughs> depends on you know your taste in music. It'll tie into uh, Radio Stars podcast. We'll have to connect the dots right there. I think that's it, guys. Thank you very much for listening. Check out Twitter. Check out Discord. Check out Patreon.com/slash The Penske File if you want to support the show. That's the best way to do it. And otherwise, uh, just mention the show around. There's some article that said the only way, the, the best way that people get their podcast recommendations are from family and friends. And if you hate your family, tell your friends. Or if you don't have any friends, tell your family, I suppose. <laughs> um, I think that's it. Clay, do you have anything you want to say? Uh, no. Uh, when's this come out, this episode? This one is coming out Monday. Okay. So it's past free comic book day. Yeah. Um, You've yeah, already got your no, free comics. Yeah. Yeah, and I, I'm I'm happy to see all of you who came to Coast City on Saturday. You were really nice to meet in person. <laughs> I don't think we have anything else. I think that's pretty much it. Um, I'll put up a... There's a poll on Patreon uh, to see what you guys want to talk about for this month. So if you haven't voted on that, be sure to vote on it. The poll probably ends tonight. And uh, any other... Th- I always feel like I have knick-knack stuff to bring up, but I guess I don't. Cool. We're almost done with DS9 Season 5. Season 5 has taken a long time. You can blame Discovery for that. But we're almost done. We've got four episodes. Put it on the list of things to blame Discovery for, am I right? It's tough. It's a tough... It almost feels like we're picking a fight with the show now. Guys, Mm. thank you very much for listening. We will see you next time. 